0: delivery trip to the customer. Wish me luck.
1: You can open it and get your order. Enjoy. All right. So we're here with uh, Dmitry Chevalenko. He's the founder of Tortoise. Uh, and for those that don't know, Tortoise is a company focused on last mile delivery uh, and shared mobility. If you've seen those little robots that are on sidewalks, really going uh, from door to door or from uh, uh, a facility to the door, uh, that's where Dmitry and his team play. Uh, and they're building a company around that. It's really a combination of robotics, automation, and really scale to provide uh, efficiency within logistics. At least that's how I'm framing it. Uh, this is right up our wheelhouse from three mega trends that we think uh, are existing today and into the future, and really will shape uh, the future of mobility and commerce. Now, I know, Dimitri, you've been working or you worked in previous uh, roles at, at Uber, you were uh, somebody that was uh, at the table or, or around the table at some point uh, in terms of the acquisition of Jump, $200 million acquisition uh, of Uber for e-bikes. Um, you guys recently raised your own capital, so congrats on that. And I see a pilot program with uh, Safeway uh, as well, and maybe there's more to that uh, in addition. But I wanted to kick off with, with uh, one, introducing you and, and having uh, a little bit of knowledge of yourself, your background, what Tortoise is, what are you guys doing
0: uh, but first, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. I'm excited to uh, dive in and share everything there is to, to share about Tortoise and uh, what we're working on.
1: Nice. So uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about your background, where you came from, and kind of where Tortoise, uh, the thought, really was provoked.
0: Yeah. So um, so I've been fortunate to uh, be part of, uh, of several iconic tech companies. Started my career at Facebook. was there from 80 million users to 800 million users and have been uh, chasing that, that type of hyper growth ever since. Uh, then went to, to LinkedIn, uh, was a product manager there for several years and then joined Uber, largely because I saw a lot of the, the smartest folks from Facebook were, were all going to, uh, to, to Uber and was uh, a was director of business development at Uber. Uh, led, as, as you alluded to, led Uber's expansion into new mobility, which included the, the jump acquisition and, and partnership. Uh, Uber Transit, uh, short term car rentals. Uh, so, this idea of turning Uber into a transportation super app, the Amazon of Transportation, uh, architected that. Uh, and, and through that, got to know a lot of the most promising companies and entrepreneurs across the mobility and future of workspace. And so, after a four year run at Uber, uh, left the company and, and became a full time advisor working with eight different companies ranging from autonomous helicopters to shared scooter operators to mobile parking uh, and everything in between. And during that period, uh, started collaborating with, with my now co-founder, uh, David Graham. And he, he, he had a re- really surprising technical insight. He, he was working on building a, a semi-autonomous lawnmower and, and he realized of all things, uh, and he realized that if you're, you're working with a light electric vehicle, something that weighs under 200 pounds and you don't need to move it faster than seven miles per hour. And you're, you're okay with the solution that combines autonomy with a remote driver. So somebody can be halfway around the world and sees out of the, the cameras that, that are on the vehicle. It only takes around 150 bucks in added electronics to take any light electric vehicle and make it possible for it to be remote controlled over a 4G network. And so we we got really excited and, and we founded Tortoise in summer of 2019 with, with the idea that you know, we, we're gonna be this horizontal provider uh, of, of effectively a moving service for, for any light electric vehicle. And, and we we actually first focused not on last mile delivery. Uh, But on the shared scooter space, which which I knew very well, um, and and applied this technology so that a rider could summon a shared scooter to their front doorstep, just like they would an Uber or Lyft. Uh, And then you could have that same shared scooter, instead of cluttering the sidewalk, have it repark itself uh, after a rider completes their trip, uh, and even return to a charging site so you don't need to pay people to drive around in gas-guzzling vans and trucks to recharge uh, electric scooters, uh, and in doing so, undoing a lot of the environmental benefits. And so we, we were doing great in that space, in that vertical. Had several deployments live, and COVID hit, uh, which wasn't great for for the shared mobility space, uh, but it was fantastic for last mile delivery. You know, o- overnight everybody started ordering everything online and expecting it to be delivered same day. And we, were, we always planned on expanding into the delivery space uh, but, but COVID accelerated that timeline. Uh, and now we're primarily focused on, on that space and have built our own robot that uh, is, uh, is differentiated in, in its focus specifically on grocery and parcel Uh, It's cost structure and business model. And uh, we're we're now live with half a dozen customers uh, and uh, seeing tremendous success. And, you know, pretty much every retailer, every logistics company uh, needs same day delivery, uh, doesn't have enough workers, drivers to to provide It's paying too much for same day delivery. Uh, so, so it's a fantastic opportunity for us right now. And, you know, we're, we're focused on on growing. So I'm happy to go into detail on all that. But that's a, a super quick overview on, uh, on me and how we got to today.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. Obviously turning um, an incredible unfortunate moment into um, something that sounds like uh, is uh, exciting and flourishing here at the kind of hopefully back end of um, uh, what 2020 was. The look, framing kind of the bigger picture here is one of the biggest pain points is really the cost burdens around delivering items um, last mile, right? Getting it from these like centralized models, then redistributing it out from there to their endpoints can be incredibly uh, costly. Now, there's obviously different types of methods that people are using, whether it's Amazon just simply trying to ship as many things um on their platform as possible from grocery to now medications to um the traditional stuff that they have anyways subscribe and save and bulk shipping in terms of choosing your day then you have like the postal networks that are kind of going to stop around your premise anyways um so riding those rails i guess the the next step is is essentially what you guys are building out which is purpose built for i guess the businesses themselves um and not having to rely, let's let's say, on other means. Um, and Amazon's obviously doing their own thing them, by themselves. Now, kind of tell us a little bit about how you're thinking about the problem here and solving it, and kind of the cost burdens how you're you're reducing that. Um, I've I've seen some things on your site in terms of reducing the cost per delivery to roughly like four bucks, um, uh, to four bucks, which is roughly a six to uh, what I think is like eleven dollar savings relative to human delivery. Um, just talk about the equations there in terms of how you're thinking about delivery and, and the modes of delivery that exist today versus what you guys are doing.
0: Yeah, so, so to kind of frame up how, how we think about the world as differentiated, um, our, our, our contrarian view is when it comes to automation on public rights of way, uh, the, the sequence will be low speed comes before high speed light mass electric vehicles before heavy mass vehicles like cars and trucks, and remote controlled before autonomous. Uh, and you know, as, as awesome as self-driving cars will be one day, that one day is still in the best estimation of, of the smartest people in the space, many decades away. Uh, and so we, we, we think it's important to start with a solution that is not a science project, uh, but actually something that is, is reliable and commercially scalable uh, and, and can provide cost saving and, and, and business value on day one uh, as opposed to, to to having a very long ramp period. And so our solution in, in delivery uh, right now is, is 100% remote controlled. Uh, so we're not using autonomous technology. We, we always have a remote teleoperator Uh, Now, where we've we've innovated is we've built our remote teleoperations infrastructure so that remote driver can be anywhere in the world. Um, And and a, a great analogy is we're effectively doing for last mile delivery, what globalized call centers did for customer support, which is to take a very expensive Western labor market job. And by empowering anyone to do it anywhere, who has a laptop, uh, an internet connection, and in our case, an, an Xbox controller? You know, those are the <laughs> three three things you need. Uh, y- you can now make money uh, driving one of our robots uh, down the sidewalk from from a store to a recipient's home. And so, uh, being able to tap into that 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 labor arbitrage, we're, we're able to deliver cost savings. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of how we get to that, that, that $4 cost for uh, a two-mile delivery. So we charge effectively around a dollar per mile. Uh, and so that means, you know, for, for a two-mile delivery, two miles there, two miles back, that, that's how we get to that $4. Um, whereas, you know, using a, uh, a gig service or full-time employees, as, as you mentioned, that, that would otherwise be 10 to $15. So it's a pretty profound cost saving there. But by not focusing on autonomy on day one, uh, we're also able to have significantly lower bill of materials on our robot. So, so our robot is about five times cheaper than the next cheapest delivery robot we've encountered. Uh, and so, we're able to lease it for just a few hundred bucks a month to our customers, uh, and that you know that pays back nicely for us. And it's you know again, it's it's cost saving for 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 our customers. Um, and, and the reason we are able to have such a low bomb is we're not overloading our robot with, with LiDAR and compute uh, necessary for, for, for trying to do autonomy uh, on day one. And the, the, the reality is when, when you operate on sidewalk, road, shoulder, and bike lane, you're encountering edge cases every hundred feet because you're dealing with pedestrians, you're dealing with cars, you're dealing with bikers. And so to, to safely and scalably deploy this technology, you want the benefit of human judgment and, and oversight every second of, of that trip. And you want to have a solution where we can ship one of our robots to a store of one of our customers, and we don't need to pre-map the deployment area. So we can start servicing a three mile radius from that store uh, the next day, You know, robot comes in, in a big container, uh unload you know unpack the container robot works out of the box and we start d- doing deliveries the very next day uh, and if you're trying to do autonomy that just wouldn't work um you know waymo has spent now 6 7 years in suburban phoenix and they still don't have a perfect driverless solution uh and they've mapped that area you know i mean they they know every inch of every surface uh of of suburban phoenix and so Um, you know, low cost remote control, uh, we think is the very important gate to to getting to autonomy because, you know, unlike Waymo and and some of these other folks, we're creating our map of the sidewalk, road, shoulder and bike lane, not by burning hundreds of millions of dollars, but by offering a commercial service that's cost saving for our customers, profitable for us. And so as we do remote control trips, we're collecting the data we need to, in a few years' time, using the exact same robot, uh, turn on semi-autonomy.
1: Got it. So let's um, let's break out those those two sides, right? So you have the consumer side and what they see and their experience, and then the the driver's side. Actually, I, I want to get to know like what <laughs> what that experience is like. Um, so the the person sitting in kind of like your central facility, one, how many um, how many different uh, journeys can they go on? that I guess. Uh, at the same time it sounds like because it is a uh, fully remote or, or controlled remote controlled um, they can essentially do one at a time correct
0: yeah so when a when a robot is actively in delivery it's a one to one relationship but when a robot is say waiting for the recipient to come out and get their stuff from the robot then we have you know we basically have one person who's able to look at 20 robots just to make sure you know, no, no, the wrong person isn't coming to to get uh, their goods from one of the containers that, that have Bluetooth locks on them, uh, which the remote uh, operator is able to, to, to lock and unlock. Um, so yeah, it's one-to-one when we're actively driving. Uh, and then um, we, we think that's important, right? Because the, the whole point of having the, the human judgment and oversight is to have somebody paying attention uh, for the unknown unknowns, right? For, sure. for, for, for the edge cases. And so if you're kind of trying to do one operator, many robots, you're actually sacrificing on, on the safety benefit. Um, and so I, I think certainly when we turn on semi-autonomous operations, uh, you know, we'll, we'll increase that ratio. Uh, and then the logic becomes the on-vehicle software will be in autonomous mode only if it knows exactly what's in front of it, is able to identify that and knows that there's nothing there that shouldn't be there. And it, it kind of is basically assessing that every second. Uh, and the second it doesn't have full confidence that it knows what's in front of it uh, and that it's safe to proceed, it'll stop and wait for a remote driver to take over. Uh, and, and so, you know, we, we certainly anticipate that even many years from now, when you're crossing a busy intersection uh, or you've got a lot of pedestrians ahead of you, autonomy software just won't be able to handle that. Uh, you're going to want uh, human judgment oversight. You're going to want a, you know, other fun capabilities our robots have is the teleoperators can play voice commands. Uh, and so, you know, if somebody's, you know, trying to have too much fun, and stand in front of the robot on purpose. The robot will politely say, "Hey, can I help you?" Um, and so, you know, managing the, those interactions with the other users of, of sidewalks, you know, and bike lanes, I, you, you, again, you're going to want that that human layer uh, for for at least many years in the future.
1: Yeah, no, I think I feel more comfortable with a, <laughs> some sort of human uh, behind that robot that's uh, walking beside me uh, while I walk uh, with my uh, three year old. Um, and down the same path, right? So um, that person that is sitting there, um, so let's, let's take like Safeway, for example, or, or n- no name, uh, uh, yep. c- uh, customer that is um, looking to fulfill using your product uh, and solution is essentially order comes in through uh, one of these uh, alternative sites, I'm assuming. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, or- the, 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 the source of demand for the e-commerce we're agnostic to, right? Right. Um, our, our basic idea is you tell us you, you load the robot, you tell us which robot you want moved and where you want to move it, and then we take over. But everything that happens before that, we, you know, we're not trying to be in that process. And that's actually why retailers love us is we're not trying to compete with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we're not trying to build our own delivery network. Uh, and that's why our business model is, is leasing the robot to a retailer, just like they would lease a delivery truck except we also provide the on-demand driver uh, that you're only paying for when when you're actually doing deliveries uh, that's effectively built into that, 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 that vehicle. Uh, But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're purely B2B uh, and that, that creates a lot of value in in that uh, our customers can get to brand the robot. I mean, Happy to send you a video of the Safeway one in action. You can, you can share yeah. with, with listeners uh, if, if folks want to see it. Uh, but but it becomes a really powerful out of home marketing channel for those retailers and, and certain logistics companies. Uh, in, in addition to the the cost savings on delivery.
1: Got it. So the the person inside of uh, the grocery store puts the bags in. They connect to you guys. They say, Hey, it has to go here. Uh, a remote um, driver. Uh, now is in tune with this robot and has to deliver to uh, a specific facility. Uh, I'm assuming there's certain type of uh, geographies and areas that work better than others. Um, uh, is urban versus uh, suburban, um, kind of how are you thinking about the landscape there in terms of height, like uh, here in Brickell and, and in Miami, obviously it's condos, uh, but you can go several miles out and you have homes um, where... I'm assuming uh, a little bit easier, a little less congested. How, how, how do you think about that in terms of the future of this method of uh, t- transporting?
0: Yeah. So the only real infrastructure requirement we need is reliable 4G connectivity, right? So if you've got AT&T, T-Mobile or Verizon with uh, at least a few bars, you know, that, that's what we need, right? Cause, cause ultimately the, the fail case for us is we navigate into a dead zone and lose connectivity, uh, and and so that that's kind of the, the thing we're most focused on on avoiding. Uh, but we've designed our robot to be incredibly flexible. So as I as I mentioned before, it goes on not just sidewalk, but sidewalk, bike lane, road shoulder, and so you don't need uh, a specific type of, of physical infrastructure. Uh, it can handle really bad potholes. You know, we, we've navigated in LA where. You've got really bad sidewalks where the left side of this sidewalk is four feet higher than the the, the right side because you've got a massive tree root going through it. Uh, and so the, the, the fascinating thing about the grocery space is 60% of grocery e-commerce orders are within that, that three mile radius of an existing store. Uh, and so we've we operate in dense urban areas, we operate in suburbs. You know, some of the Safeway deployments have been in, in communities I've call as exurbs uh, where, where it's lower density. And it, it's not, you know, the, the way we structure our business, we're not trying to be the exclusive last mile fulfillment option where you only use us. Uh, but any delivery that that's within a three mile radius of a store, we're going to be the cheapest option uh, and, and the one that delights folks the most. Um, now, now you, you mentioned condos, you know, the from from the recipient point of view you do come out to the curb to get your stuff right so we're not going inside of apartment buildings you know riding the elevator (laughs) yeah i I think yeah in the future that that certainly becomes you know there's a version of that 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 could get uh productized um we actually also are working on a container type um so the other thing we've innovated on is in, in our form factor The containers are modular. So it's not like you've got a, you know, it's not like a car where you've got this hard shell and you're stuck with it. You know, we can load on uh, a configuration where you've got one big container or you've got two containers or four containers, each with their own Bluetooth lock. And so you can do batching of of deliveries. uh, But with the one big container, we actually are, are working on a technology that allows for unattended delivery. There's actually an internal motor inside the container uh, that can push out your order uh, in front of your house so that you don't have to come out to the robot to get it. Um, and so I think that that could be really interesting for um, as, as hopefully, you know, we, we stop being at home all the time uh, and unattended delivery becomes more important. Uh, that That's going to be a, a, a increased area of focus for us. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I, I think we're, you know, there's certainly geographies that work a little bit better or a little bit worse, but short of that 4G, um, lack of, of reliable 4G, th- this can work anywhere. And I, I think, you know, we, you know, while I talk a lot about grocery and parcel. We have customers that are gonna be using us for flower delivery. We have customers that are gonna be using us for not delivering things, but actually for picking up returns. Uh, hmm. We have people that are gonna be using us for, for delivering laundry. And so, so I think there's all kinds of, with the flexibility of our container system, there's all kinds of goods that, that by d- default people are expecting to be either delivered or picked up same day. And the, then, you know, the way I like to talk about it is when Amazon introduced prime uh, and free two day delivery became the, the new normal waiting seven days, all of a sudden felt like a lifetime. Whereas before that, you know, seven days was still pretty magical, like press a button on your computer and right. you know, something shows up at your house. Uh, and, then, and then with two day, kind of seven days, it's like, oh my gosh, that's outrageous. Uh, and, and I think with COVID, you know, what's happened is that the consumer expectation has shifted again, where now same day is the new two day. And, and even as COVID goes kind of, you know, mercifully is, is less a part of our lives, that consumer expectation is still with, with, with us. Uh, and, and, and so I think that that's kind of, uh, you know, I think there's gonna be all kinds of product types um, that, that, that are now uh, by default delivered same day. you see, see this, you know, transformation in the micro warehousing space where everybody's trying to have warehouses closer you know, in that three mile radius of where the recipients are so that you can support same day delivery, you know, you see dark stores, ghost kitchens. I mean, this, this is all kind of playing into, uh, the, this idea of, uh, of, of making same day the, the default way of, of getting anything.
1: Yeah, no, it seems um, like this is, it, it seems pretty important. I mean, just using your basic numbers in terms of the, 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 sh- the kind of, um, cost gain from a, uh, shipping standpoint, uh, the biggest friction point in delivery for the most part is that that shipping cost, uh, at checkout, but also for the, uh, business that is potentially either passing that on. Right. So uh, conversion on the consumer side drops, or you have the business just eating or subsidizing part of that shipping fee. And if, again, when you just look uh, at, at kind of generic figures of shipping and delivery, they're in that kind of Florida, uh, range, um, specifically on things like Instacart and some other uh, services. Now, if if you can reduce that to the numbers you're talking about, I mean, you're talking about uh, commerce or or digital commerce in a sense, really uh, seeing a massive increased potential in volume, just given that you don't have that friction sitting in between anymore. I don't know how businesses are are thinking about this, whether they're thinking about it in the terms of uh, increased volume versus uh, increased profit um, in terms of margin. How are they typically thinking about that aspect? Because right now it's normalized, right? Where Instacart, you're paying this monthly thing and there's a perceived uh, notion that uh, the delivery is free, but it, for the most part, that it's really uh, a slight increase in the price on, uh, the list price the on the product. Themselves. Yeah. Right. And um, and again, obviously through volume, you can reduce some of those things, but it just seems like such an important uh, aspect of, of delivery that I don't think a lot of people are really paying attention to other than, Uh, kind of YouTube videos of seeing uh, some of the other maybe providers in the space. Um, Yeah. So, so like how are companies seeing it uh, from your end when you pitch to them? Are they seeing it more as a a volume driver or a, uh, or a profit margin driver? Uh, Kind of what is that, that pitch, you know?
0: Well, I think right now it's just keeping up with the demand, right? So most grocers, they just, you know, their slots for same day delivery get filled up you know, by 6 a.m. Uh, right. and uh, of, of the day before even. Uh, and and so I think it's a, um, you know, right now it's keeping your head above water. Uh, I, I think the, uh, you know, I, I certainly think it's, it's um, in, in terms of the profit volume, I think, you know, the real answer is both. Um, right. You know, I think everybody sees their business, you know, becoming, you know, 25, 30% of their business is, is shifting to e-commerce. Uh, and so you're, you're trying to adapt to, to this new normal. Uh, you know, the, the other kind of interesting piece of, of the branding of the robot, um, because people are spending less time in store, uh, retailers are losing a lot of CPG, advertising dollars in the, in the form of like in-store promotion. And so one of the neat things we're seeing is, is a lot of our retailers are actually co-branding their robot with CPG partners. Uh, and so they're, you know, they're basically the cost of leasing the robot is offset uh, by the marketing lift you get from, <laughs> from co-branding it. And, um, and, and so, so yeah, I, th- I think there's, there's a lot of transformation happening um, and, and, to get you know, basket sizes up to what, what they are. When, when somebody goes in person to a store, um, you, you wanna have predictable, reliable experience with, with e-commerce. Uh, and, and I think we're, we're, we're enabling that. Um, there, there's also another big benefit uh, is our solution is zero emissions. Uh, So it's, you know, battery powered and we swap, you know, you have swappable batteries so you can run the robot all day long without, without needing to take a break. It doesn't get tired. Uh, And, and so I think that is, is another reason a lot of retailers are embracing this is they have pretty aggressive sustainability goals and we're we're a way of achieving that.
1: Got it. Let me ask a kind of last couple of questions is really around, uh, the deployments, right? If you think of the deployment inside a facility, uh, these things probably aren't uh, too small, right? They take up space. They take up some effort. Um, how are they thinking about positioning these inside their facilities? Um, are they indoor, outdoor? Are these, uh, I'm assuming they're fairly weatherproof um, yep. f- for the most part, maybe not for everyday uh, storage, but h- kind of f- how big of a, a deployment can an actual uh, facility achieve to understand this, the, the potential scale here?
0: Yeah, so, so I think the um, it, it really depends on the footprint and the size of the doors of a specific grocery store. I mean, like the, there's a lot of variance here. Sure. I think what a lot of retailers are seeing is there's actually a real benefit to parking the robot out in front of the store because it gets customers excited. And, um, you know, what, what we noticed is uh, with some of our early deployments is people would see the robot's and they'd be like pestering the staff, like, "Hey, how do I get my stuff delivered with <laughs> that?" I right? <laughs> and yeah, and uh, you, you have kids asking to, you know, parents, "Hey, can I have my picture taken with that robot?" And um, so, so I, I think the um, mm. in, in many ways, the workflow that we're slotting into is the same workflow that that grocers are using for curbside pickup. So the same you know, pick and pack and then you know, lo- load uh, process that, that you do for curbside pickup, th- that works naturally with our solution. And it's one of the reasons you know, we, we've been able to quickly launch our deployments is retailers pretty much overnight had to figure out curbside pickup and train their staff to support that and figure out new processes. And we're, we're, we're benefiting from that, right? We're, instead of taking the order out to a person's car, you're putting it in the robot, right? And everything yeah. else is is the same, and so I think the where the robot is located ultimately ends up being a function of where that pick and pack for curbside pickup and where those orders are, you know, are stored until until the person comes. So that ends up being a, a big variable, a big factor. Um, it can be a little distracting to have the robots inside the store uh, during the day, and so I think kind of having them right in front of the store and get loaded there is is usually the happy path. And then at night, just bringing them, you know, when the store is closed, just bring them inside for, for safe storage.
1: Got it. Last question is really around um, the variability of like, let's say a grocer versus a restaurant. Are you seeing uptake in restaurants? Uh, obviously it's a it's slightly different one basket size in terms of uh, price point. And then also there is that um, uh, quality aspect to getting, let's say a hot dish to somebody's, home is there are you seeing the same type of traction there or is it is it something that is uh, still kind of uh you know everyone i think everyone's having trouble here trying to figure out this model on the restaurant side uh, do you pool yeah. it right with like the postmates pool and some other pools uh but then th- that last person getting that last delivery uh is generally speaking could have been the first one in but actually the last one out um what are you seeing from the restaurant side
0: of the of the business yeah so so one of the things that's really different about our solution is the carrying capacity. So our robot can move 120 plus pounds of goods, um, which is about five times more than a typical delivery robot. I don't know if they've seen like a Starship or a KiwiBot or the, or the Postmates robot. Um, and, and that was very intentional on our part. And, and, and one of the key design uh, requirements, largely because, you know, I, I you know, I saw what you alluded to and the combination of a, of a low speed robot and hot food ends up being not particularly appetizing. So when, when you order something on Uber eats, you expect it at your door in 20 minutes uh, because you're hungry. Uh, right. Whereas when, when you're doing an online grocery order, you, you, you press that, that, that buy button on Instacart. If it shows up at your house two hours later, that's still a magical experience. Right? So so, the reason grocery uh, and parcel is, is a great category for, for same-day robotic delivery is it doesn't need to be uh, 15 minutes or less, right? You, you have a little bit more time uh, and, and that works well with kind of the four mile per hour average speed that, that, that we're, we're seeing in our deployments. Um, that said, I think with food ordering, um, we're, we're gonna see a transition away from everything being on demand to a lot more pre-scheduled orders, right? So paying a 25% premium on your food for the rush of like, well, I want it right now. And I wasn't able to make up my mind yesterday of what I want, you know, that will wear off at some point. Uh, And and I think, you know, what what isn't gonna wear off is a desire for somebody else to cook your food for you. I think what what will uh, get tiresome for folks is paying a very heavy premium for, for that on-demand experience. And so as you know, food delivery becomes more pre-scheduled and less on-demand, I think that that's where we play because then we can batch together orders yeah. uh, and, and we have the time to, to get it to a person in the preset window uh, versus on-demand.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Uh, yeah, no, Dimitri, I think that's a good place to end the conversation uh, today maybe we'll get an update from you in a uh, six, 12 months from now, see the progress that you guys have made. And, and I'll see, uh, see that video that you were talking about in terms of Safeway. So we can see uh, your, your tools in action. If uh, I guess people wanted to learn more about tortoise, uh, where can they find you? And then also uh, just big picture. What's uh, in, or in the near term, what, what, what should people be looking out for and something exciting uh, that maybe you guys are thinking about here in the near term?
0: Yeah, I mean, our we're on track to launch deployments with four of the ten largest U.S. grocers this year, uh, Start. And, <laughs> and then it, uh, so I think that's uh, yeah, hopefully some some more big names uh, you, you'll see with with branded robots. Uh, so you'll never see Tortoise on them. That's that's kind of uh, right. We're we're, we're, we're we're sticking pure B two B. But uh, if you see uh, a, a a a robot with a smile. Uh, that that's Mm -hmm. our our trademark Um, and and yeah you know happy to connect with folks that are interested in the solution they can email me uh, directly at dimitri at tortoise.dev d-m-i-t-r-y and uh, otherwise you know follow us on twitter uh, at tortoise hq uh, and uh, happy to continue the conversation there
1: cool great dimitri Uh, appreciate the time and and good luck with uh, everything
0: you're doing thank you